Before we start today's episode of Zillennial Canon, we just wanted to let you know that there's a link in our description to some friends of the pod, including Adam's second podcast, Aggressively Okay, that he hosts with Joe, Back to Back, Seltzer Cast, and a few others that we know you'll enjoy. Thanks for supporting us, and we hope you enjoyed this episode. Hey, this is Joe. Uh, I just want to say how much uh, Moulin Rouge is such an important film for me and growing up and how I'm, I'm such a big Baz Luhrmann fan. <laughs> but uh, my brother and I were both now gay, but <laughs> when he was little and this film was such a big important, we were, we're both of us were big in the movie musical boom of the, the 2000s, you know, like this one in Chicago and Dreamgirls and Hairspray. But uh <laughs> He, when he was like three or four or whatever when it came out and he was singing Lady Marmalade in the store and they were like, big people come up and he was like, is he singing Moulin Rouge? Oh. <laughs> but big fan of that film. I love that you're covering it. So <laughs> thank you. Bye. Hey, Kieran Adam. It's Jillian again. Oh my God. It's Jillian again. For people who are not in the know about the lineal canon, um, I was the reason why a voicemail thing even happens because I saw that they were doing a uh, an app about Max Cable. Sorry, it's like 12 a.m. for me. Um, anyways, um, I saw that they were doing an app about Max Cable, and so I said them an audio recording over a Google Drive about my take. So, Moulin Rouge, I, oh, just, what a picture. You know what I mean? Um, yeah, I love, 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 love this film. It's so good. I saw that, I think I rated it with three and a half stars on Letterboxd. When I first got Letterbox, because that's back when I was pretentious. No, it was five starter. I'm I'm fucking going. I'm I'm there. You know, I I got my total popcorn. What's that tweet? Who knows? Anybody who knows that tweet, let me know. It, Kira, Adam, I I got my popcorn. I got my soda. And who tweeted that? Fuck. Anyway. I love this movie. Probably a bisexual awakening for me. Um, yeah. And cool. everybody welcome back to greatest showman on x games mode this is zillennial canon i'm kira <laughs> i'm adam usually kira like like runs them by me before she does the intro that one actually caught me off guard and it was extremely good <laughs> my second choice was uh welcome back to john leguizamo in general this is zillennial canon <laughs> And today we have a friend with us for a very special occasion. Um, today just happens to be the exact 20th anniversary of the film Moulin Rouge. 
Um, so Brad Efford from Wigwag Mag is here to talk about it with us. How are you, Brad? Good. <laughs> I'm really excited to talk about this movie. This is one of my uh, favorite movies. I also just want to say right at the top that I like hounded to be on this show. So I'm just very excited to talk about this movie and to talk about the canon in general um, coming in hot. That's how I feel. We're so excited to have you here. And when you tweeted, how do I get on Zillennial Canon? I was like, oh my God, nice, cool. <laughs> it's nice. People usually try to avoid us. We never we never like have people actively trying to get on the pod. It's really nice. Is that part of the canon? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So like yeah. you have to be avoided in order to be a Zillennial? Exactly. Yeah. That, yes, abs- 100%. <laughs> I've been doing so much like, like trying to dig into what zillennial means so mm-hmm. there's like part of me that's really just so excited to like talk about this movie because i love it so much and i've seen it like a bajillion times but also just like the concept of the of like a zillennial generation and the concept of a canon is what originally made me so interested in this show mm-hmm. um like my sister is 23 years old she turns 24 in just a few weeks so i was like texting with her i'm i'm 33 so i'm like a millennial like straight up a millennial Mm -hmm. and i was texting with her today to be like what like what generation do you consider yourself like have you heard of this like it's like a liminal generation and she had this like long complicated answer (laughs) i think it's like the appropriate response that's like well i don't like identify with z and i'm like not really a millennial but i guess like i just take in the stuff from that generation a little bit more so I guess I'm like a millennial it's just like being a part of like that liminal generation is fascinating to me yeah this is the perfect time to plug (laughs) this uh, yeah this week um Adam was on the headline of a Vice article in which he talked about what being a zillennial meant to him yeah it was really weird to like and i mean it it was great but it was like just to wake up and to have it like published and to be on the headline of vice was like extremely i don't even know like i'm still kind of processing it um but it was a great experience and i guess um it's kind of exactly what brad's talking about we kind of like dived into the um the question of like what zillennial means and Mm -hmm. it's very interesting to like go from doing this podcast for two years where well, yes, the bigger picture of this podcast is talking about movies specifically week to week. Um, also, like, like digging into, like, the small nuggets of, like, little culture and trauma and all that stuff that accompanies it. And I don't know. I, I guess if anyone wants to check it out, it's on Vice. We've retweeted it plenty of times. So yeah. go check out our social <laughs> to find it. Yeah, but it's definitely very, like... I feel like it's similar to Lynchian where you can't define it, but it's, <laughs> it's there. Like, it's just kind of a feeling. <laughs> I've, I, so I was talking to somebody today. He's, um, he's turning 26 soon. So he's like in the middle of it. And he was like, my theory is that if you remember 9-11, then you're like a millennial. So he's like, I think I'm like tail end of of um millennial because like Mm -hmm. he would have been like six years old when 9-11 happened he was like i remember it happening blah 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 um and 
my sister was what, like three and a half or four, she was four years old. Mm -hmm. So it was like, probably not a strong memory, like a memory of just like, it was crazy yeah. or something like that. Like, who knows? Um, like I was in eighth grade when 9-11 happened and it was such like, like, uh, like a huge thing that happened. Um, but then I've also got my own theory, which is, it's the iCarly th theory, which is that I think, I feel like that show iCarly, which is becoming, I'm just starting to see it so much more, like pop up more and more as like a reaction thing or like a meme or whatever it is where I had to play catch up and be like, I don't know who these people are. And like, <laughs> I, I was starting to like be like way like lost in what the references were on online, which when you hit like 30, just kind of, I just realized like kind of starts to happen where you're like, okay, like other people are coming in who, who know stuff and are like owning that conversation. But so much of the conversation was like iCarly. <laughs> and so yeah. I was like, I just feel like, <laughs> like the tail end of sort of what I was watching when I was too old to be watching it was like, um, like Drake and Josh, maybe like, mm -hmm. even that I, like, I was in like late high school, maybe like kind of too old, but like it would be on TV. And I feel like it was when I would come home from like late college that like iCarly would be on. And I'd be like, I don't know what this show is. So I feel like iCarly, Hannah Montana, which is even like a little bit earlier, like that era of like Nickelodeon shows, even like Wizards of Waverly Place. Like I have all these shows that are like in my memory as like my little sister would watch them. And so those are the shows that she would grow up, that she has, I'm sure, grown, grown up to be like my childhood shows. And me, yeah. I'm like, the, like, those were like children's shows when I was like a full adult. So I think it's, there's like an iCarly barrier there that the older I get, the more I'm just <laughs> like- iCarly barrier. Yeah, like the generation changes <laughs> on like Miranda Cosgrove and like something about her, I, she just like fallen through every crack for me where I'm like, okay, like I think when I became too old, quote unquote, was when she broke into the scene. Like there was like a passage there. That's that's my theory I've been playing with throughout the day. <laughs> that is the point. most, that is the most incredible, like, like thing yeah. to <laughs> describe Zillennial as, because it really does make sense if you think about it. Like we've talked before about how like Drake and Josh has like shaped Zillennial, like, sense of humor and everything but like if you think about it like that's kind of like younger millennial into zillennial and like iCarly definitely is like the last zillennial tv show because I started babysitting like towards the end of iCarly so I went from like iCarly into Victorious and that was like definitely Which is a show I've like never even heard of really like <laughs> yeah. Victorious like Sam and Cat is that a show it has like Ariana Grande right like yeah. these are yeah. shows that I'm like uh, if Sam and Cat have a character from iCarly, please, okay, cut all this out. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. it's Victorious and I, like, it's the characters from both of the shows and they get a spinoff. Okay, oh. I definitely know that now. Okay, great. So Victorious <laughs> and iCarly, obviously we all know it's the people from Sam and Cat. We all know this. Um, and, <laughs> yeah. but those are shows that just like, I like never watch. I like don't know what they are at all. Well, it's funny because we've had 60 plus episodes and I don't think out of all 60 episodes, either of us have so eloquently like put what is it means to us or what it is or described like it as well as you period, did yeah. in this like little like the first 10 minutes of this episode. Like it's <laughs> impressive. <laughs> yes, like you perfectly. I think we need to pack it up here. Like this is it. This <laughs> yeah, is our last episode. episode. Well, the, yeah. no, this is the finale. And the bridge is, and the bridge is like SpongeBob, right? Because spongebob we, we just, I just feel like it's like timeless right like it's this yeah. room yes. where 
I never watched it, but it was definitely like a show that people watched when I was again, probably like early high school. It like mm -hmm. premiered. I don't want to look it up, but it must have premiered yeah. when I was in like late middle school, early high school, like early 2000s. Does that sound about right when it I premiered? I believe it was like 99 or 98. No. But like, but you were, but it, that was back in the day when like they would say it premiered, but they only produced like six episodes a year right. and then just like mm -hmm. ran it constantly. Right. That's like, why, like, so many people that quote Drake and Josh only remember, like, six or seven episodes from each year. Yeah. Because, like, they would consider a season to just be, like, either, it's either, like, a very small thing or it's, like, 40 episodes. There's no in-between right. <laughs> with, like, Nickelodeon television. <laughs> it's, like, overwhelming or, like, a tiny bucket that has, Exactly. Like, no yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I feel that way about um, the Amanda show, too. Like, yeah. I feel like everyone's like, oh, like, 90s Nickelodeon. And I'm like, oh, like, the Amanda show? Like, I've never seen, like, all that or anything like that. Like, literally, I only connect, like, my Nickelodeon memories to, like, the Amanda show and then, like, but Doug reruns. the Amanda reruns. show was at the same time as all that, wasn't it? Wasn't it, like, all that Keenan and Kellen Amanda show? Because yeah. I grew up on all that stuff. No problem. I think Amanda show was after. <laughs> well, Amanda okay, show was, was slightly. I, there was yeah. like overlap between the two when they were airing. But yeah. like when Amanda show premiered, all that was like in its latter seasons, if I'm not mistaken. And okay. um, because isn't Amanda show kind of sort of wasn't like she on all that at a brief period yeah. of time? Was she? Okay. It was yeah. just this spinoff of all that in the same yeah. way that Keenan and Kel was. Right. That's what I thought. Right. The same basic thing. Yeah. Yeah, because that's what I was going to say, like, with all that, all I know about that show is, like, the very basic, like, Keenan and Kel ones, yeah. and I'm convinced, like, I have memories of watching it as a kid, but I'm pretty sure it was on television. I think it was just, like, YouTube clips that I saw, because I had access to the internet at a young age. Like, it's yes. not because I actually grew up on all that. So, <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I only, like, in the past few years, I only saw Good Burger for the first time. And I just watched it yeah. again last week with some friends, and it was, it was incredible. But yeah, how does that, how does that hold up as somebody who didn't grow up with those characters? I have not watched it since it came out, I don't think, because I had the like bright orange uh, tape of it. Yeah. Right. That was yeah. like how, how it always came. Like, is it funny? Oh, yeah. It's like the funniest movie of all time. <laughs> okay, great. <laughs> so funny. Love it's it. hilarious. Yeah, it's weird because, like, I just said, like, I don't have any nostalgia for, like, Keenan and Kel or all that mm -hmm. or anything. But I grew up on Good Burger because, like, I remember it premiered, like, like Nick and Knight, this big thing back in, like, 2004 or five or something, yeah. where they were, like, we're going to, it's, like, the world television premiere of Good Burger. And I was, like, what's Good Burger? So, like, six-year-old me watched it, and I loved it as a kid. Like, it was the funniest movie. It then cut to me being 23 now. Actually, last year or two years ago. I went to a 35 millimeter screening of Good Burger at my <laughs> art house theater. <laughs> That's how Christopher Nolan intended it. Yes. He was like, this is why we're doing this. That's how Mondo Burger intended it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. exactly. It's funny because um, my older brother is a millennial and um, my niece is like obsessed with SpongeBob. And she came over to my house, like, last week, and my brother's like, oh, like, tell Kira, like, what movie we watched. And she, like, didn't want to tell me. And he's like, the one with, like, the burger car? And I was like, oh, the Spongebob movie? She's like, good burger. I was like, what? She's like, five. <laughs> I, I really can't imagine anyone, like, any kid growing up now watching Good Burger. Like... Yeah. And it's like, cause it's, it's, it's amazing. Like I could see them yeah. loving it, but like, I can't actually imagine a child today sitting down for 90 minutes 
and just experiencing Good Burger. Yeah. Like that is oh, such a I, weird I'm a concept. Child and I did it last week. <laughs> yes, <Yeah, she, laughs> it was great. It's it's, it's funny because I so I work as an administrator at a high school. Um, mm-hmm. um, it's like a middle school high school mix. And so I, I basically like, I'm like a dean of student life, essentially. So what I do is I like plan programming for our students and something, and that includes like showing a movie to our kids every now and then, or it's, it's like a movie night. Um, and it'll range from like a sixth grader who's like 12 years old to like a senior who's like 18 or 17 or whatever. And, um, and I'm basically just like picking whatever movie is like available to do like a Netflix party with essentially and a movie that like I've seen it for the most part. So I'm like, okay. Um, but we just watched hook because, well, because great, but also just because like hook, I was like, this was like my favorite movie as a kid. And I was like, this thing rips, it has a bad reputation, but like, it's so good. Um, and we watched it and I was like, I have zero clue what any of these like children think of this movie like it must be so the movie is like two hours and 25 minutes long it's super long for no reason <laughs> at yeah. all and it's like starts with like half an hour of them just like him being like a shitty dad and they go to like london yeah. and it's just like a long setup and what i remember is like you get to like never never land and it's like really cool and it's like don't you and not meet the lost boys until like an hour into the movie you don't almost? meet the lost boys until pretty late but when they come in it's yeah. great it's it holds up and it's amazing Tessin hoffman is giving like the best performance of all oh, time in that movie fun. but like yeah. you know like i i just keep having this experience like i show them um um the adams family over the summer and mm-hmm. that was another movie that was like 1990 91 whenever it came out like around that same time that i hadn't seen since i was a kid and I was like, I like, are these kids enjoying this? Like, like some of them are old, are like obviously old enough. They're like late teenagers, old enough to like enjoy a movie and to like have like an attention span and everything like that. But, but I was like, are they finding this funny in the way that like I'm watching this and I find it hilarious and like the performances are like so outlandish and amazing. But like, are they just bored out of their mind? Like, what passes? for family entertainment when I was a kid. No, I mean, I, I guess I just, I do sound like an old man, but just like, it, it's so weird now to to show things that I enjoyed when I was a kid to kids now yeah. and try to, like we, we watched um, uh, Napoleon Dynamite, which yes. is obviously more re- recent and the kids like hated it. And I was really? like, guys, I was like, guys, this movie is great. I saw it in theaters oh when it came God. out. I was in high school. It's the best. Yeah. And then we watched it and they were like, this thing is so boring. This thing blows. And I was like, come on. So I just like don't know what's cool anymore. You all. know, it's crazy because when you think about it, which I'm I'm sure we're eventually gonna cover Napoleon Dynamite. Um, so I don't want to get too into it, but um it. <laughs> it's like it's weird how it's like such a specific like dry sense of humor like it's such a specific sense of humor and it's insane like how much it took over like like quoting like making t-shirts of it like it's wild that like all of us loved it like I mean obviously not because it's like a great movie but it's wild like how big it got I think yeah Um, I I, because I I saw it in theaters when I was seven like I was seven years old and I saw it good movie for a seven-year-old I think it was it's it's PG it's rated PG so it's acceptable like it's accessible like 
It's got that llama. It eats an enchilada. That's funny. (laughs) I remember my mom took me to see it, and she told my my, uh, her friend that went with us when it was over. She said it feels like it was inappropriate, but it wasn't. Like, (laughs) that's like the best description of Napoleon Dynamite. It's Mormon movie made by like a bunch of Mormons who who like it has that energy of just like very polite humor that is so weird it's like a humor that's like a step out of reality in a way that's like you recognize everything that's going anyway you guys are going to talk all about napoleon kind of later, <laughs> yeah, but like that movie is weird it's real good yeah so um you brought us today um <laughs> i forgot what we were talking about for a second I was, Mulan Rouge. Right, Mulan right Rouge. into it <laughs> forgot Red the Mulan. name so what are your memories attached to it brad oh my god okay well i so i was trying to think about this earlier i think it's the first dvd i ever owned um i think moulin rouge and fight club were the two dvds that i owned when i was like i'm gonna buy a movie and so it came out i was 13 years old when it came out um it comes out the summer before 9-11 essentially it's just like everything is either pre-9-11 or post-9-11 essentially but like I think it came out that summer um and I would have been in eighth grade when I probably watched it for the first time and it was like ninth grade that I think I bought it on DVD and just like like I literally watched it every night before I went to bed and and it was just like a secret thing that I would do where I think I had a computer in my room for the first time and it was just like a desktop, huge computer. And I would just like, before I would go to bed, it was just like a lullaby. Like I would just put it on and like watch it with like a blanket around my shoulders and just like watch Moulin Rouge every night. And I was obsessed with the soundtrack and would like listen to the soundtrack on the way to school every single day. My mom like loved like all the songs as well. So it was like really easy to like drive around with my mom and just like play it all the time. So I knew the soundtrack like front and back and like I was just obsessed with it. And then I think as I got older, I started to meet more people um, who either had the same experience I did where they were like, yeah, that soundtrack was like my life for like a year or whatever it was like, that movie is the best. I've seen it a million times. It's the greatest. And Or people who were like, oh yeah, I, I watched that movie only like a year or two ago and I couldn't like make it through it. Like people like either hated it or loved it. <laughs> And I feel like it landed in this weird pocket of like Fat Boy Slim was really popular and like the like Lady Marmalade cover was like everywhere. Like it was like this weird period of time where like the movie could only be made the way it was made at the time it was made. And obviously like by the person who made it. But um, when I watch it now, because um, I obviously just rewatched it and it, it is really hard for me to sort of like separate it from my nostalgia for it which there's not that many things like that like i think i i think i have an okay power to watch something that i loved as a kid and to still like step away from it and be like okay i see what's good and what's bad about this but when i watch moulin rouge for whatever reason i'm just like yeah this thing goes like this thing is good from (laughs) minute one and um like but I was right as a child. Like, this thing is the best. <laughs> so, I just love it. I've seen it so many times. That's kind of, that's funny that you say it like that, because I feel like even throughout the entire episode where we covered Mamma Mia, that's exactly how I feel, is that it's like, I was right. Yeah. <laughs> like, all <laughs> like of you love this movie like, now. Yes. I am yes. right. 
that's me with like when we did the summer of sandler and like we talked yeah. about ever adam sandler movie i was like i was right the twitter <laughs> discourse now that's now loving him i i was ahead of that train okay yeah. we <laughs> you with fast and furious also very much oh yeah don't even get me started yeah go. <laughs> yeah so this um i had not seen this movie until literally like the first day of quarantine last year um specifically because and like i know this because i like took a video of like one second every day last year and um like i remember nicole kidman being like the day before like tiger king in it um and i um it's funny because it was on broadway in 2018 and for years um me and sean were like oh we're gonna go see it we're gonna go see it and like it was just so expensive and it was in the same theater where great comet was so it was like this insane like elaborate like thing with like a big like elephant and stuff and we were like oh we should maybe like watch the movie before we see it and then we just never ended up buying tickets to it because it was like so goddamn expensive um so we bought the dvd and then literally like a year later we were like we should just watch this and we were like so perplexed by it and like we were it was almost like we were trying to like and we like we both liked it in the end like we agreed that we liked it and like I love like Baz Luhrmann's Great Gatsby I really loved um Romeo and Juliet like when I saw it in high school like I haven't really revisited it since but um so like I knew what I like I knew what to expect but I felt like I was being like literally punched in the head but in a good way like over and over again while watching it like it literally goes a million miles an hour and I not not even in a bad way but I think a way to sum it up is Adam texting me five minutes after he started it saying is the entire movie like this it it is it slows down a little bit it's like when you get to like come what may it slows down because there's like a ballad but um, I mean, like, I took notes while I was watching it uh, yesterday, I guess it was. And the first five minutes, I have, like, 20 bullet points of notes already. Because I'm just like, what? It, oh, my God. Like, there's so much that goes on when it starts. Um, it's definitely closer to Great Gatsby than it is to Romeo and Juliet, too. Yeah. Um, yeah like, I, I saw Gatsby, I feel like, opening weekend or something. Like, I saw it in theaters. And we got there late. So we sat, like, first row of the theater. To the point where I was like, I kind of just want to like leave and like go see it like another time. But we we watched it, and that's the only time I've ever seen that movie. Is this like very extremely overwhelming, like half an inch from like DiCaprio's face the whole movie? And my only memories, like somebody told me that um, Debicki's in that movie. I couldn't tell you that Elizabeth yeah. Debicki's in that movie. <laughs> so I was like, really? Because like I I really want to rewatch it because my experience of it is just like this thing is so overwhelming. Like, I can't even see what's happening in front of my face. Um, whereas, like, Romeo and Juliet is very much like, I'm going to do a brash retelling of shape. Like, it's it almost feels like a cliche when you watch it now because it's, like, a gritty remake of Romeo and Juliet or whatever. Um, and this thing exists somewhere in the middle of just, like, it wants to not get, like, not, like, let you breathe as soon as it starts until it ends, basically. And then you're just yeah. crying, and it's great. <laughs> it's funny because um Great Gatsby I feel like was one of my like 
one of the movies that I saw when I was like first getting into movies that I was like, this is big and artistic. And that soundtrack, obviously, like, I feel like Zillennials, it's like, cool Zillennials graduated to high school listening to that soundtrack. And, it's got, uh, like, Lana Del Rey. That's all I know. What else is Yeah. That? Yeah. And, like, Jay-Z and stuff, I'm pretty Jay-Z? sure. Jay-Z? Yeah. Wow. It's, like, yeah. it's pretty crazy. It it's plays, like, really the good. main theme of the movie, I think. Um, yeah. That soundtrack is pretty, it's pretty great. It's yeah. really good. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. I had the opposite experience uh, than you, Brad, when I saw Great Gatsby. Like you saw in the first row, I like I was in a really shitty Regal Cinemas, like prior to them remodeling it, like with like creaky seats. And you know, like when you're in a really bad theater and you're sitting all the way in the back, and it's you can barely see it. So I did that. Um, I was all the way in the back row, and I saw it in 3D. So it was like, it was dark. The 3D wasn't working because I was in the back. This w- tall guy was in front of me. So like half the screen was blacked out. Like I did not have the experience Boz Lerman intended when I saw Great Gatsby. No. I forgot that was in 3D. That's so uh, fun. That's so, oh that would like make me vomit. That's so, imagine if this movie was in 3D. If Mullen Rouge was no. in 3D, I feel like it's made for 3D. Like if this movie came out like five years ago, it would have been in 3D for sure. Yeah. Um, and it would have been like not well received and it was like well received when it came out it would it, people would be it like was this is heavily nominated at the oscars when yeah it the best picture nominee yeah yeah, yeah. Um, so adam your first experience watching it was like two days ago <laughs> three days ago. yes um okay so i want to like before i get into this movie specifically like i said i i watched gray gatsby uh many i think around the time i saw romeo and juliet because like Gatsby came out summer 2013 mm-hmm. and I saw it in theaters. Um, actually, yeah, I remember it came out the, the last day of school that year. And I remember yeah, like, I went, I, I went yeah, after school. Yeah. yeah. The, the last day of my freshman year of high school, I remember. And then I like in the beginning of sophomore year in AP English, we watched Romeo and Juliet. Like, so like two or three months later, watched that. Um, I liked Gatsby a lot because I saw it again. <laughs> I'm going to have my one Regal Cinemas experience with it. I watched <laughs> it again. I've actually seen that movie a few times. I really like it. Romeo and Juliet, I hate. I think it's terrible. <laughs> um, I hot. I guess that's a hot take. I don't have many on the pod, but that's one of them. Um, I just can't stand it, but I also think Romeo and Juliet is like just extremely overvalued as literature almost like it's just <laughs> so exhaustive and i don't I mean, think going after no, that's a hot take and, okay think, and this wait is, a minute wait a i minute. was just listening to the um she's the man episode i was just gonna did, say in which that. you were like i don't know anything about shakespeare i mean that's not what you said but you're like coming in like i don't know that this was shakespeare so i just feel he like you com- have he was complaining about the plot of it and it's like <laughs> take that up with shakespeare you don't like that you're like dragging romeo no it's like what it's, it's literally just it's all dumb okay <laughs> like if if we're not popping coronas and we're not in dodge chargers and john cena's <laughs> not your brother point? i don't I don't care, quite frankly. No, I <laughs> no, no. The truth is, I just thought the the visual style of that movie was like it, it was way too overpowering, and it feels like if you're gonna if if you're gonna take so many liberties with style and setting, take more liberties with story and like because I don't know why every Shakespeare adaptation is so hell bent on sticking 
so closely to the source material. And I get it. You don't want to deviate from Shakespeare. I understand that. Mm-hmm. But it just makes every adaptation boring to me. Um, so that's how I feel about it. Like, I, I just don't. I mean, I just you took a lot of liberties with it. Um, my favorite my favorite thing um, from the 90s, Romeo and Juliet, is... Um, the fact that there was a parody with Austin Powers at um, the MTV Movie Awards to promote Austin Powers, where he was Romeo climbing up a balcony, is pretty Who's good. Juliet? I don't remember. <laughs> I think I'm. Uh, I don't remember. Maybe it was Claire Danes, but yeah. Not bad. Yeah, um, but anyway, Adam. Wait, first. Okay, so we're talking about Boslerman. Have either of you seen Australia? yes it is um, unhinged from what i remember it's yeah it's funny i was just talking about that for some reason at work the other day like <laughs> we, we ever like work an eight or nine hour shift and you just get talking about the most random movies with people yeah, yeah. and we brought up australia we we're like remember australia and then we were all on mdb and we all collectively went Boz Lerman directed that yeah <laughs> because it does not feel like a Boz Lerman movie what are you um, talking about? The camera's swinging around and maybe shooting I just, out at you. I saw it when I was like 12. So like, yeah. I remember it just being a Western like romance movie. But <laughs> this is why I should not talk about I, movies before I rewatch them. <laughs> my idea of that movie, having not seen it, I think it's the only movie of his I haven't seen, mm-hmm. is like the marketing for it and the poster and everything makes it seem like an old school, like romantic Western, like yes. travelogue or something like that. Like, yeah. like an epic, like a, like a classical epic. Um, and the only other thing I really know about that movie is, is the line when Hugh Jackman hosted the Oscars and he did that whole opening number. And then he was basically like, the only thing I've really done is like, I was in a movie called Australia and I'm Australian like and directed by a guy who's Australian. Like he just like made a whole joke about being Australian. It's like that, like <laughs> nobody had really gone to see that movie. They just knew yeah. it was called Australian. It took yeah. place in Australia. Um, and that was the follow-up to Moulin Rouge, um, which yeah. is obviously such like a smash, but it did get like lost to time. I don't know. I've never seen it. That's There's something like I admire a... about him though, is yeah. that he takes his time between projects. Like yeah. Yeah. his follow-up to Gatsby is just that Elvis movie he's doing uh, he's. I think he's still making it right now. It's still basically in like they're still casting. Like they just announced somebody new to be cast well, like a month ago. Yeah, like I know they shot like a little bit of it, but because that's yeah. how Tom Hanks caught COVID in Australia. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. And, yeah. But then they shot right. it. They right. they shut. No, no, no. You're, but you are like they shut it down, and I don't know if it ever resumed after that. Like they got like two weeks into production, and they just. I mean, Australia it. and New Zealand. I'm pretty sure just completely eradicated COVID. Because I know right. that Avatar is shooting again in New Zealand. <laughs> I like how I you that. based all your public health knowledge off of whether or not Avatar two or three is in production yeah. right now. <laughs> One of the Avatar sequels as long as, is currently as long as in production. Back on track. That's all that matters. Yeah. <laughs> matters. Um, so Adam, you just watched this for the first time, Moulin Rouge. Yes, and it feels weird as a um, as a theater kid that I oh. never saw it. it it's very um, friend of the pod, Abby. Uh, who was on the pod for She's the Man, um, when she found out that I've never seen it, she grilled me about it. <laughs> um, I guess I'm just hopping around what I thought of the movie to avoid it. Yeah, you, you didn't like it. You didn't like I, it. Okay. I didn't. <laughs> Listen, we're having such a good time right now. I don't want to ruin the mood. <laughs> um, no, it's kind of the same thing with Romeo and Juliet, where like I don't 
like I don't hate it with a like a burning passion. Like I I admire it even. I just it's really like aggressively not for me to the point of where I was exhausted like 30 minutes into it and I had to pause it because I couldn't take it anymore. So I watched it for 30 minutes, I paused it, then I continued again. <laughs> and I said to keep pausing because it, it kept exhausting me so frequently. And I don't know, I feel, because like, I went on Letterboxd and all my friends love it. Um, I, the, it's, I don't know. It's totally one of those movies where people love it or they hate it. Like there are yeah. people who come to it and I really think, I think partially it has to do with like what your taste is and what you're watching, I guess a little bit, but I also think it has to, to do with like how old you were when you watch it. Like, I do think that this, this feels at least to me, like the kind of movie where if you watch it too late in your life, you're going to be like, this is not for me. Like, like yeah. I feel too old for this. <laughs> I think, and like, I could be wrong about that, but like, um, like I, I feel like people who I've met who don't like this movie, watched it for the first time like in their 20s and they were like yeah. this is too much um and i do feel like it has that well it has like a music video energy to it because that's what he did like he was a music video guy as well as making movies and he like brought that energy so intentionally to this movie that i feel like if you are vibing with that energy then like it's just going to carry you along and you're going to be so into it but if you're like yeah. this is overwhelming from like the very start then the whole thing is just go kind of over. Like it doesn't shift gears in the movie yeah. at all. You just go. Yeah, the whole you're time. right. And I was kind it's of waiting for it too. Is yeah. <laughs> no, like I was because like as soon as Nicole Kidman's character is like introduced and like you see the romance starting to blossom, I'm like, okay, it's gonna have like more slower, like tender moments develop. The, and then she's like the, rolling the, around on the floor, kind yeah, of like, covered just, in a rug. Yeah, it's the best. It, it never <laughs> gets to that point. And I'm not even saying that's a bad thing. I don't even think it's necessarily bad. It's just because like so often on the pod if i have like a hot take i'll be like this movie's bad i can't say this movie's bad it's really i don't think it's a bad movie it's just one of those movies that i appreciate but i just did not enjoy my time with it um <laughs> but like i respect I think, it yeah i think definitely like like you said brad like the point in life that you watch it but i think also like the setting like i feel like a lot of movies when i'm kind of like not like lukewarm on them but like trying to like wrap my head around them it's like if I saw this like in a theater, it would have been so good. Or if I saw this like with a group of friends, like I would have loved it. Like walking out of a theater, like talking about it or like being all in a group and being like, what the fuck is going on? Like I would have had an amazing time. And I think that's why the first time I watched it, I was like so perplexed by it. Um, and I guess now that I'm like familiar with it, like I did have a good time watching it just like on my laptop while I was like doing laundry or whatever. But like um yeah it's definitely something that I'm like I'm also surprised they didn't like I mean like I know that like movie theaters are like uncertain right now but I'm surprised they didn't re-release it for the 20th anniversary I am too I feel like it would pack the house so I I've seen it once in theaters and it was um maybe the 15th anniversary now it was probably about five years ago but it was a sing-along at at the draft house so it was a draft house like event yeah. and it was the best. I mean, it was like a super packed house of people who obviously like love this movie because they're going to that event. Um, but it was like one of those events where you're not really like experiencing the movie. You're at an event where people are like laughing really hard and like throwing shit and like like mm -hmm. shouting like all the lines along uh, like alongside all the characters. So that's the only time I've seen it. But it does seem strange that they would not release it. Like. It's the 20th anniversary today, just by coincidence. That's that's actually, let's pretend it was real. 
we definitely <laughs> chose the 20th anniversary yeah. date. But like, there's all these like articles coming out and like retrospectives that are just like the 20th anniversary of this classic. And I'm like, I just feel like a lot of people have either come around really hard or want to pretend like they really love this movie because yeah. I feel like it doesn't have a great reputation, but there's like a pocket of people who like go hard for it and like love it. Yeah, I'd be really interested to, like, see this with, like, a Friday night crowd or something, yeah. like, on back in 2001, because yeah. I can't imagine how this plays with an audience, but, like, I feel that way with a lot of movies that came out in the early 2000s, where, like, we say that so often on the pod, Kira, where we're like, I really wish I was there opening night, and this one, even though I didn't, like, love the movie or anything, like, I kind of wish I was there to experience it and to, like, go out to the lobby and, like, hear people talking about it after the movie. Yeah, like, I, I can't imagine. Way... I was sorry to interrupt. Um, yeah, I felt that way definitely while watching this. And I was trying to think. I was like, I said those like exact words about something like a few days ago. But um, I saw Jurassic Park at a drive-in, and I feel like that's also one of those movies where it's just like such like a like the audience must have been like, what the fuck. <laughs> Like in, a, in a great movies. way like yeah same with yeah. this too it's like I, I like i would have loved to hear people trying to wrap their heads around this the first time well, they like, saw it. i because like when i say that with this movie i'm like would because like i don't know like what the general audience response was back in 2001 because like it's such a wacky movie that like yeah. i don't know how it plays with a general audience like just like a general moviegoer out on a date on a Friday night. They're like, oh, Moulin Rouge. Okay, let's see it. And then they have like fucking, uh, like whatever his name is, uh, something smells like teen spirit. Like, <laughs> like, and the camera is like insane. Like, yeah. it, it's so crazy. And I, and you're like, Brad said it earlier, but like, I don't know how this would have like, like, got made today. You could only really do it 20 years ago. Um, like, it wouldn't movie, be as good if it was being made today. I really, so not. it's one of those movies that could not get made today. Like it, it just has a visual style. I mean, obviously it wouldn't yeah. be made like this anyways, because it's very 2001. But mm -hmm. I just think Lerman got so much rope to make this movie because Romeo and Juliet did so well. And there's a five-year gap in between them. But like he casts two leads who aren't like singers they both sing it all themselves. Um, you know, I watched a lot of the like special features because I have this thing on iTunes or whatever. So I watched all the bonus stuff and he made them sing live while shooting all the movie as well. And then they, they would like overdub it, obviously. But um, he was like making them perform while acting as well in front of the camera. So I, I would imagine that like if you are a moviegoer, you've heard this thing as a musical probably, you've seen the poster that makes it look very like lavish and it has like this red curtain and like like a, a, a Nicole Kidman's in like a top hat. Like I think you have a general sense of like the vibe. Right. If you're a Francophile, you're like the Moulin Rouge, okay. <laughs> I don't know, but like <laughs> you probably had this idea that it's like a sexy kind of a musical. Um, but I think you're right that you go into it and it opens with a faux orchestra and a red curtain opening. Which I love. Like that was yeah, great. the opening is, <laughs> is incredible. And the theme yeah. comes up and the can-can. Like, he is very much from, like, the first time he comes on, like, it comes on screen. He's telling you, like, this is the kind of movie you're about to see. But then he's, like, 
and I'm gonna like crank it up to 11 as well. Like, yeah. and then we're gonna go right into John Leguizamo on a roof singing like Nature Boy. It's actually David <laughs> Bowie or like what? Like, there's like we're gonna get like John Leguizamo in makeup singing Nature Boy, and then you're gonna get this overlay of like black and white, like Ewan McGregor over it, like crying, and then you're gonna zoom through people who are like CGI'd people. Like, it just he it's it's one of those movies that teaches you how to watch it in the first two minutes of the movie that just like while you're watching it you're like okay i like i'm being instructed on how to take in this movie and i think it like i feel like seeing it in theaters you can get probably so much more swept up into it i would imagine and also like this visual style probably wouldn't have seemed so crazy in 2001 i don't know like i was a teenager but like i don't really remember like other movies being like this like it was obviously like a weird movie even in the, at the time but i mean it grossed a shit ton of money it was a massive hit so people loved it i don't know i loved yeah. it yeah <laughs> it um what was i gonna say um yeah it's it's like crazy because um like the visual style of Baz Luhrmann I was like trying to like wrap my head around it while watching it and like there's like cartoon sound effects in this and stuff (laughs) and I (laughs) I feel like him and Robert Zemeckis are like on the same level of like what they do with like technology where they're like I'm just going to do this and similar to like James Cameron where it's like I'm going to do this I'm going to put some time in between my projects so that I could like do something fucking weird regarding technology and like if you don't like it like it'll be great anyway like whatever I think it's a great parallel and I think that the parallel I was thinking of while watching it this time probably because I watched it pretty recently but um is Scott Pilgrim which is obviously Mm -hmm. a different it's a different kind of a movie i think i mean it definitely is but like that movie comes out almost 10 years after this one and um the visual style a it does the same thing where it teaches you how how to watch it right away with like a comic book intro immediately but also the style is consistent throughout the entire movie and it's and like you have to keep up with the style like you're gonna see things each time you watch it that you're like whoa like I, i didn't notice that before and the style is so intense the thing with edgar wright though is that it's not like all of his movies are like that like he was like i'm gonna make this movie like this intentionally because of like what scott pilgrim is etc and i think Baz Luhrmann is just like i'm gonna make this movie like this because that's just like how my brain works like i I don't know why he made it like this but it's the same kind of kind of a vibe to me at least that's how it felt that's like a really interesting like you when you kept bringing it up like with the it teaches you how to watch it and that's like something i've never really thought of before but you're right like i think the the general like like the answer to the, like how to like get audiences like encapsulate with a, a visual style or something just consistency like setting the setting the tone like at the very start of the movie and just following through with it um until the end it's like it's a good way to like keep them encapsulated like i remember when i saw waves like two years ago that um Edward schultz movie um, like not even about the quality or anything about that movie because I can know there's like some controversy with it but like his visual style of that movie is very intoxicating from the moment it starts but it works because it's just it, it constantly evolves and it, mm. it, it it goes hand in hand with the story and even like almost to a, almost like a film student-esque level at points where it just feels like he's playing with the camera but like it's really interesting when you have directors or filmmakers like dive into it and um, you're right. Like try to teach the audience, like how to like just work with movie and follow it. Um, 
And that is something we realized because we just talked about Scott Pilgrim a few weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is something I noticed because we both saw it in Dolby Cinema um, with the re-release a few weeks ago. And I, but I, it's funny because you said like it must not have been weird for audiences to see like Moulin Rouge in 2001. But I don't have that same thing with like Scott Pilgrim where I'm like, wow, how did they feel about it? Because I was there. <laughs> like I remember seeing it. People weren't weirded out by it. Like it, yeah. so, I guess it's just it may be like one of those things where what you were saying, I saw it later in life, so now it's just, it feels foreign and weird to me, but that just I mean, might be it, exactly it. It's dated. Like, Moulin Rouge is definitely dated. Like, you don't watch this movie, at least for me, I, I definitely watch it, and I'm like, this feels too dated. But, mm-hmm. I, so, um, something I really want to get into is the characters in this movie. They're the best. I, I feel very moved by the characters in, in this movie, I think Jim Broadbent is doing like God's work in this movie. He is so good and he He's won the great. Oscar, but not for this movie. Like he, like he, it was a big year for him. It's his Oscar year, but he wasn't nominated for this movie. He's, he's the best performance I think in this movie, but I think that the two leads are great. John Leguizamo is so bizarre in this movie. I think he's like actually like on his knees for most of the movie. Like, I think he's doing that mm-hmm. like vaudeville trick of just like being on his knees with like his shoes on his knees. Um, and you can kind of tell because he has like a shuffle when he walks, <laughs> like it doesn't look yeah. real. Um, like there are just people giving performances in this movie that I think are what makes it work and what makes it really hold up. Because the visual style feels dated, but the performances feel like fireworks to me still when I watch it. Like uh, yeah. um, uh, Kidman, who gets an Oscar nomination, is this her? This might be her first Oscar nomination. I don't know. She probably has like mm. three or four but this feels like it might be her first maybe i'm wrong but i i didn't know that she was nominated for an oscar until i rewatched this like a year or two ago and i was like oh like like had this, this gotten any oscar right. it was her first one yeah and well, like i think by this point it's one of those things where it's like a long time coming she's been around for a while like she's been like a big deal for a while in the 90s um but it's deserved and I think she's incredible. I think also anytime you have a person who sings their own stuff in a musical, they're gonna get the Oscar nomination, whether it's Emma Stone, who's like barely keeping it together in my opinion in that movie, or like somebody who like actually sounds great. Um, like Anne Hathaway. In, yeah, uh, exactly, right, like, like Anne Hathaway. Yeah. It's, it's why Andre Day gets, gets the nomination. She's fantastic in that Billie Holiday movie, yeah. even though it's not a very good movie. Um, but I think that like, that's going to get you a nomination either way. Um, But she, like, there is a moment in this movie where I just feel like every scene with Jim Broadman and Kidman is heartbreaking and is so great. Like, he, um, at some point, he says, like, we we can't afford to love. It's, like, something that he tells her. He's like, we're, what does he say? He says, we're creatures of the underworld. We can't afford to love. And that's, like, Mm -hmm. such a heartbreaking part of the movie. Um, And I think that is a silly line that Broadbent sells because he's so in the pocket. Um, And yeah, like that's just how those characters still land to me when I watch it now is like, I'm on board with these characters from the go because they are so bizarre. And yet like the, everybody who's in this movie clearly is having a good time. Like they love being in this movie and they like, like, uh, um, uh, uh, McGregor is like in one of the interviews I watched, which which is from 2001. He's like, 
I think this is the best thing I've ever been a part of. Like, you can tell that he's just like having the time of his life in this movie. Um, and he's coming not straight off of train spotting, but like he had been around for like a long time and was like a, a hot shit at that point. And he was like, love Baz. <laughs> you know, like, it's okay. interesting because like he, like he, I know he like loved his experience with Star Wars, like when he did the prequels, but yeah. he also talked about like how frustrating it was to like do a lot of green screen work and like act with like, not even actors, but like, um, like whoever played Jar Jar Binks was like on set, but like he had like a giant Jar Jar thing above his head. <laughs> so like, but so I guess to like be in a, cause he, I'm sure he filmed this between Phantom Menace and Attack of the Clones. Well, um, really quick, probably. I'm just gonna um, cut in and say um, in their production, they actually went over um, over schedule and they had to like be almost like kicked out of Fox Studios because like Star Wars Attack of the Clones had to film on the same oh, set. Oh, that's so funny. Yeah. So he went like straight <laughs> to it. He was like going yeah. in between being Christian and being yeah. whatever. Yeah, well, I, well, Do you I like that I know Christian's name and I don't know the more famous character that he plays in Star Wars? <laughs> Who is he in Star Wars? He's the guy. Obi-Wan. Guy. Yeah, he's Obi-Wan Kenobi. <laughs> he's that guy. All I know is Christian. <laughs> well, I, I, I think um, it must have been refreshing for him to like be on set of a movie where there's just these massive sets, whereas... Um, you know, George Lucas, especially with Phantom Menace, like really leaned into CGI yeah. and the advancement of technology, which is cool and great and everything. But like, it, I'm sure like it, that must have even added it to like his like love for this movie. It's just like, wow, a set and like actors and people and like production. Um, yeah. Because even just like watching this movie, that's what I felt the entire time. Like even when I wasn't like fully enjoying it. Every time there was a giant set, I was kind of like, wow, movies. Like, So it, it wins the Oscar for production design. It wins the Oscar for costumes. Is that it? It's edited. I mean, it's nominated for, for eight, but I think it only wins production design and costumes or something like that. It's it's nominated for the editing, which I think is a brilliant nomination. Um, this is the um, uh, Memento year as well, which like should right. have won the Oscar for editing because mm -hmm. that movie is like all in the editing. But... Uh, it's yeah. not for like best picture obviously and, and kidman but the production uh the production of the whole thing and the costumes and the makeup and like all that stuff is like the shining star on, on the whole movie like it doesn't work if the production value isn't as high as it is in this movie like it looks expensive in a good way i think yeah i'm looking yeah. at the oscar like wins for that year and it's kind of i mean like oh, training it's a, like it's the beautiful mind year right yeah, it's a beautiful mind. One uh, best picture. Yeah. Denzel won best actor for Training Day. Broadbent um, Williams. Yeah. Wait. What was for which one? He wins for a movie called Iris, which I've never seen. And um, Judy Dench, I think, also wins for Iris because I think she is the she is the um, the titular Iris. Yeah, she she's the, she's the, <laughs> the titular role. <laughs> uh, it says uh, Holly Berry won that year, but I don't know. Yeah, for Monsters it just Ball. says Monsters. Ball. Okay. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. Um, so that was a big year crazy. for the Oscars. It's crazy about like the sets, though, like how it really does add like a massive thing. Because I feel like that was like the draw for me to like even want to see it on Broadway is that I saw pictures of the theater and how like the set like came off of the stage and there's like stages like throughout the audience and stuff. And I was like, that definitely drew me in immediately because it's like a physical set is like the craziest thing now like 
like you were just saying, Adam, like Star Wars, like it's um yeah, it's definitely like the most impressive thing. And I think a movie is just so much better to me when it looks like the cast is having like an incredible time. And yeah. I think that's the best that, thing that's ever. That's the Mamma Mia magic too. It's why Mamma yeah. Mia works, I think. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think it, no, I, I really think that it works and the sequel too, like they work so well because you can tell that everybody is like having the time of, a, of their lives making those movies. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, if you had people who were like, I guess I'll be in this dumb movie, it would definitely read off the screen. And and generally, like, I think when you get actors um, all together, like they want to put on a show. And so if you like, that's why they're like in that business for so many of them, I would, I would, I would guess. And so like, it, if you have a movie that is constructed entirely around, like, we're going to put on a show and you, like people are going to be really, really into that who are in that movie because they get to like dance and sing and really perform and like play a character that's like over the top and wear like a wig. Like it, it feels like being in theater, I think. Um, like there's just so much of it where the characters are so heightened and that's so intentionally done. And I, I just think something that he does so well that I don't really know how he does it. I think that the music really, really helps, but um, he goes from extremely heightened like editing and comedy like everything is very heightened and it's like a looney tunes episode from like a minute to the next all of a sudden they're crying and it's like heavy drama and she's like dying like it go like it goes from this like huge dramatic number to her dying spoiler for Moulin Rouge but like (laughs) it, it like it balances those moments so well where at least for me when I watch it I'm like very invested in the romance of these characters but also I'm like dying laughing only a minute earlier at um, Like a Virgin, which is like the craziest musical number in this movie yeah. with these two guys who are clearly just like, I'm not really a singer. And <laughs> we're going to like, ha- we're, we're just like Australian guys having a good time chasing each other with like a, with like a sheet around us. <laughs> like it's the <laughs> wildest thing I've seen. Um, but you can just tell that like they love making this movie and that I, you know what? I love watching it. Love watching them make yeah. it. Well, and it's oh, oh no, sorry, go ahead. Oh no, it, it's funny that you said a Looney Tunes episode because I literally wrote down like Boz Lerman kind of makes like live action cartoons that oh. are like melodramas as well. <laughs> like that's his whole vibe. It's like live action cartoon that is a melodrama. Is is Australia like that? Have you seen it, Kira? I saw it in high school and I was like a very angsty teenager in a film studies class and my whole energy during it was like why are we watching this like I've never heard of this why are we watching this and like I had heard of it because like I used to read like entertainment weekly since I was like a little kid but like I was like why are we watching this like and the only thing I remember from it is that it's just like big and like vast landscapes and like I know that Nicole Kidman acts like super like over the top and there's actually like a plot line about like indigenous people in Australia Mm. so I I don't maybe this will be like our next like Dan in real life where it's like we all know about it but nobody can tell you what it's about or if they've ever seen it (laughs) well it's like a big it's like a romantic epic like they don't make like at all like even for 2008 standards they really had not made one in a long time and if i'm not mistaken like i watched an interview with him where he talked about that like where he was like i wanted to make 
like an epic love story like a, a true like big budget epic love story and yeah. um i have not seen it since 2009 i think it came out in 2008 i saw it sometime on dvd after and i cannot tell you anything else about the movie but i do remember it having like a pretty big like epic scale to it yeah so to, do you either of you have connection to the movie titanic was it a movie that you watched, that you grew up watching, that you watched as a kid? This is another thing I've been, I've been kind of contemplating a lot because it is the romantic epic. Like, I think it's one of the last romantic yeah. epics I can think of that, like, landed in that way. Um, yeah. I mean, it was obviously, like, it changed everything when it came out. But I am interested in, like, if that was a movie for you I, and, like, your well, generation. I have two things to say about that because, well, one, to answer your question not really because like the first time i saw titanic was actually when it got re-released in 3d in 2012 um so my first experience was in theaters and um i remember liking the movie i think i it's kind of weirdly similar to this where i'm like i don't love it but i appreciate it like i think it's cool what they were going for and what they accomplished and i can also like appreciate titanic for just being the like touchstone like just like the landmark that it is like it's just such a interesting thing where it was like lightning in a bottle almost of like movie magic and yeah it's, it's really fun to like look back on it and um something i was talking about with the friends of the pod we bought a mic guys we were talking about like how like exactly like romantic epics or anything anymore and that's why when a star is born came out a few years ago it yeah. almost felt like one where it was like this two and a half hour love story with like a huge budget like but it was a re it was a remake i mean obviously it's a remake but like right. it, it was a story that we i mean obviously I, I guess they're all stories that we've always seen like it's the same yeah. stuff being told it goes back to shakespeare by the way who invented <laughs> this but like um but but like that was not an original story necessarily i also don't like that movie as much as other people really <laughs> see I this is interesting movie. i hate the last like half hour of that movie but I, oh, I, I didn't it know so it was much. coming when I saw it. I didn't know how it ended because I had never seen any of the other ones or whatever. Well, the because I, I, I don't love the other movies. Like, I think the, like, because my mom, her one of her favorite movies is the Barbara Streisand version. Yeah. So I had grown up with that movie and I've seen like the 1930s version and the 1920s version, if I'm not mistaken. It's like a silent film almost, which is interesting, <laughs> except the other ones are about her becoming an actress. Right. Um, it's not until the Streisand one where she it goes to musician. Um, but I almost thought, because like the movie has such a different buildup to that point, where it's almost entirely a different movie, and I almost thought they were going to change the ending, but they don't. It, it, and it just hits ten times harder because it's actually like realistic and like yeah. I don't know, it just it works really well for me. Like I, it's one of those like because like uh, when we talked about it, like the we bought a mic guys, we were like saying it's that movie where everyone's mom has seen it. Like, even the moms that only see, like, one movie every five years, that is the one movie they saw in the past five years. And it does feel almost like an emotional, like, romantic epic in that sense, where it's just, yeah. like, it's a big-budget, two-plus-hour love story that did dynamite at the box office. Like, it demolished when it came out. And that's why I kind of like that movie, is that it's just so... It, it, yes, it's a remake, but, it, like, it, it just... It's its own thing at the same time. Like, it just takes source material and runs with it, which I love. Yeah, and I'm just realizing that 2012 was nine years ago, which yes. is crazy. But like, but I was like, okay, so you saw Titanic like as an adult, but no, like you were a teenager when you saw Tit Titanic. Yeah, so like you I were kind of the 14. age that is intended to see Titanic yeah. for the first time, I think, yeah. 
yeah it, to go off your 2012 thing i just got a facebook memory today that i saw moonrise kingdom for the first time nine years ago today <laughs> and that really messes with me that's oh really my bad God. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> titanic i like don't really have a connection to it i just remember it being like on bravo a lot when i was like in like middle school and high school <laughs> and like seeing like the double vhs tape um in my library and i probably watched the whole thing through like one time and was like that's fine whatever um but I definitely want to like rewatch it. I just imagine baby Kira saying that was fine, whatever. Like, <laughs> Literally, log it on, on Letterboxd, two stars. It was fine. It was fine. I felt <laughs> like, <laughs> but yeah, it's definitely like the same thing that I mentioned before, where like James Cameron is just like insane, and his like filmography is like the weirdest shit I've ever seen in my life. Yeah, and. I feel like uh, Sean, like, ironically loves loved Avatar, and then it became unironic, so now my whole life is just hearing about Avatar. Avatar is also a romantic epic, actually. It is, kind of. That movie is good. I just rewatched it. It It probably holds up better now than it did when it first came out, but... Uh, Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> I one day we got to do an episode on Avatar, and of course oh, Sean's no, coming on for no, it. No, no, no. Yes, Kira. Yeah, yes. Okay. Yeah, we, um, we are because like but... it, we have to because like that movie it's was. Good. It's not only is it good, like, and I'm saying that it is a good movie, but like the like even box office aside, like what it did for like technology like the conversation in 2009 like it was that thing that everyone talked about for like four or five months and then no and one then ever spoke about it and then it disappeared from the dialogue i also just need people to know that this isn't this is an auditory thing but if you can see the visual that i'm seeing of kira trying i feel like trying not to say what you want to say about avatar is really really good to, to watch no i'm gonna it's be nice movie. to avatar um <laughs> Avatar, like like you guys just said, it's like nobody talked about it anymore. But then um, I went to Animal Kingdom for the first time last January, and I went to the like Pandora World of Avatar area, and it was like the most beautiful. Which it was made by like one of my favorite Imagineers, Joe Rohde, who we've like mentioned on the pod before. Um, but he basically designed like all of Animal Kingdom, and he worked with James Cameron to like build it and design it. And it is, like, stunning, like, the most immersive thing I've ever been in. And, like, it's all just, like, rocks and, like, glowing, like, like, fake plants that, like, look real. And there are, like, waterfalls just, like, coming out of the sky and stuff. And it's, like, okay, if this is Avatar's impact, like, it has rights. Like, (laughs) I waited in line for three hours to go on, like, the best theme park ride I've ever been on and it's based on Avatar. Well, so, well, like one thing about James Cameron is that he's like an insane person. Like he's just like actually yeah. an insane person. And so he's not gonna put his name on anything unless he has had complete, like honestly, like control over it. But but at the very least, like he has seen to it that everything is to his approval. Like he he is going to like like take a look at every fake plant and be like, yes, like this is actually Pandora. So whatever yeah. is gonna come out of his movies is gonna be like exactly up to par because that like he's going to make sure of it which is what you get with him i feel like yeah 
I think that's like why I feel like I make the connection between him and Boslerman because it's like not super like like Boslerman stuff is like aesthetically pleasing I feel like because it's always very like big and like sparkly and like like elaborate but I feel like both of them are a little bit like unsettling like they both have this like weird like uncanny valleyness to it and I feel that way with like Zemeckis too like we talked about with like Polar Express and stuff obviously where it's like Ugh. yes it is like <laughs> that movie's a nightmare <laughs> it's like yes it is like technically beautiful and technically a like like y- you know what I mean like it's technically great but there is just something that's it's like a little bit unsettling about the way things move and i feel that way about like the motion blur in moulin rouge a little bit yeah like every scene there was at least one shot that literally made me feel dizzy yeah. like <laughs> he, he, he does the trick where the dancers are spinning and then he'll put it into slow motion so it's people spinning with the blur like it, it puts their blur in slow motion basically and then you have like like christian in voiceover like and that was the day when i lost everything like it's very like dramatic voiceover <laughs> in the middle of like a dance number or it happens all the time where like her like tuberculosis like pops up every now and then and she's like she'll like slow down and just like start coughing blood and everybody's like Ugh, and like slows to a blur and then it like picks yeah. back up again yeah. it always has these moments where you're like like you feel like shaken by what is happening and not like an emotional way you're just like i don't like feel very good after that just happened like a physical way it's um (laughs) it's not funny but it's funny um that made me think of um in oh hello when they're like i corfed into a handkerchief so you know i'm dying Because it's like she doesn't know that she's dying, but she's just coughing blood into a handkerchief the whole movie. Yeah, nobody knew what TV was. She was like, "I guess, I guess I got a bad cough." Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's all it is. Um, uh, you know what? Something I'm really interested in is is how I, I guess so. Okay, let me just ask both of you. How does the music land for you? It's a jukebox musical. So there's there, there's one original song, not nominated for an Oscar, which doesn't make any sense, such because yeah, the other nominees wild. are weird. It's a great song. This yeah. is the Randy Newman year, right? I think I think this is the year that Randy Newman wins for Monsters, Inc., um, which is great. Which, He's the great best. Song. <laughs> great song. Love Randy. Um, but weird, like this was clearly going for an Oscar because it wrote an original song. Like they don't do that unless they're like, and here's the Oscar song. I think it's a good song. Mm-hmm. But um, but especially like all the Elton John stuff, um, I'll say that that this is how I discovered Elton John for sure was this movie where my uncle went and saw it after I had seen it a bunch of times and he was like, oh my god, I love like all these songs, like I know all these songs. I was like, how do you already know all these songs? Like I didn't know that they were covers of songs. Oh wow, I thought they were all just like original songs, except for like <laughs> smells like Teen Spirit, except for when it was like obvious. And then he was like, yeah, this is like Elton John stuff. So. Um, and then I would like listen to the original Elton John and I'd be like, the song sucks. Like it's the Milan Rouge <laughs> version that's good. Um, but like when you hear it, like, is the music good to you? It's good to me. I love it. Um, I, I don't have an issue with the music at all. I don't think, um, I really like the smells like teen spirit cover. Cause like, it's funny. Like when I hear mentioned it earlier, Adam, that's like text- five seconds of the movie. <laughs> <laughs> well, 
Wait, no, like he's like going it's off hard. like when you're right, you're right. He has like it, a pops, the motif pops back up every so often yeah, during right, that you're scene. Right. You're right. <laughs> I guess that's what I liked about it, is like it just keeps going. It's just like you think it's over, but then it, it goes again. And I'm like, what? Like this is great. Like I love that part. And it's funny because like I texted Kira, like, is the whole movie like this? And she's like, Yeah, I'm like, I hate this. And then, <laughs> but then it smells like Teen Spirit started. I'm like, never mind, this is kind of dope. And then, <laughs> and then it lost me. Like it was like constant back and forth. But I love that entire scene. That was so great. Like I love that. Yeah. It um <laughs> with the music, like how I said it feels like being like punched in the head, like repeatedly. Mm-hmm. I felt this way, especially during the first time I watched it during like the love like medley Mm -hmm. every time a new song would come in it felt like it was just like raising the bar like I know another song that has a word love in it I know another song that That feels like a rap battle or something like they're like what about this song (laughs) every time it would switch songs I was like what the fuck (laughs) (laughs) can anyone else see that so the way that they made, only because I just watched all the all the extra stuff, like I said, but they they like literally went into that elephant love medley with song like it was um oh gosh I don't remember who it was but whoever like did the score for this movie and Baz Luhrmann they sat down and they were like let's look through all of the love songs that we can think of and take lyrics that people will know that will create a dialogue with each other which I think is like batshit <laughs> like I think it I think it moves into a place that song that's like really good but the opening of that song that's just them like talking to each other is I love it but I'm also like this is so bizarre in a way that's just like every line like you said is them being like eh David Bowie eh Whitney Houston you know this one <laughs> it's um also I I find it really funny how they talk in these song lyrics which I guess it wouldn't have impacted you as much because like you didn't know Elton John when you first saw it <laughs> but when they're talking in song lyrics and like they don't go into the song like they're just like reciting the song lyrics like they're it's like poetry that they just wrote or something like it's really funny to me um and <laughs> it's 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 during moment which like i said like it would be a lot more fun if i saw it in a theater or with a group of friends but it's moments like that where it's difficult for me to like suspend my disbelief and i was like <laughs> literally just like <laughs> talking in Elton John <laughs> so do you think that this movie is positing that Christian what's his face no last name is like the originator of all of these songs because it's possible like do you think that this movie is creating a world where Christian the poet with a huge talent as we all know he has a huge talent they say it like 20 times um that he is like who Elton John and David Bowie took like took from and Queen. I think there's a Queen song. Very, very yesterday 2019 vibes. Yes, exactly. It's basically <laughs> what if yesterday was like at the Moulin Rouge? <laughs> That's like the whole thing of like, does ABBA exist within the Mamma Mia universe? Or like like I've, like, mentioned it kind of sort of on the pod before, but, like, I've been working on a jukebox musical for years, and that's a weird thing to, like, make a decision on, is, like, does this artist exist in this world? <laughs> like, um, one way that, like, I loved that they did it, which it's based on a true story, so obviously he had to exist, but um, Blinded by the Light, 
the Bruce Springsteen one. That was like one of my favorite musicals and I feel like super underrated um, because it was like specifically about somebody that like applied the songs like connected to the artist by like applying the songs to their own life and those songs kind of like drew drove the narrative but yeah it's like it's a really weird decision to make being like which I guess this doesn't really run into it because it's like 1900 and these people didn't exist yet but it is a weird decision to make like does this artist exist in this movie or is it canon that these songs are our songs um I was just watching Poetic Justice the Tupac and Janet Jackson movie and there's a scene I don't remember where they are but there's a part where Tupac is like in the scene and a Tupac song is playing Mm -hmm. and like it's not the character's song that he's made it's just like a Tupac song is playing that clearly they just like put in the movie Mm -hmm. and I'm like who does the character that Tupac is playing who does Lucky is his name think (laughs) is this art like does Tupac exist in this universe where Tupac the actor is playing this character <laughs> like broke my brain in this way where I was like, I don't want to think about this too long or else I'm like not going to be able to track what's happening anymore. That's why like no movie answers that question. Like right. when they're like this, it's because it's like, it just causes too many questions and you're never going to have a satisfying answer. So just never answer it. Just never bring it up. Baz Luhrmann like... is definitely like, don't ask questions. He's like, <laughs> just watch this. Don't ask questions. Don't worry. You, you'll love it. <laughs> that's like that um that musical number of what makes you beautiful in the middle of dunkirk that was a weird choice for christopher was... nolan to make but you know what it worked and, <laughs> and nolan didn't know who harry styles was when he hired him for that movie and they, he just put it in the movie and harry was like are you sure and he was like yeah i just like this song <laughs> i think it worked there weirdly <laughs> um so speaking of the music in the broadway um like not revival but in the broadway production of it um they added in songs so they updated it for 2019 so it features songs such as royals by lord we are young by fun single ladies um shut up and dance raise your glass i want to dance with somebody uh mashup are you still going there's more songs yeah, that's yeah. so many firework songs. by Katy perry um uh where is it they have like the they have like the original like love um thing um bad romance tainted love seven nation army toxic um that's only more, girl that's in more the world than in the original movie that's so many new things <laughs> chandelier rolling in the deep <laughs> here are you are you making this up are you reading no 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 um no that's the 2019 broadway one um was that musical it, like well received is it good i have no idea i've never okay. known anybody that saw it because it was so expensive <laughs> no thanks like it literally it i guess the whole vibe of it kind of feels like how like the moulin rouge did where it's like just like a bunch of rich dudes in suits like walking in to see people like perform like not like theater people they're just like okay let's just go like Uh, not for me as adam says that's not for me (laughs) hashtag not my moulin rouge (laughs) it's supposed to it's supposed to reopen um but there's a lot of um like on in april uh like last month 
um, the lead of it, um, she said that she's not going to be in it when it reopens because of Scott Rudin. Like, he, like, produced it. So, yeah. So who knows if that's going to reopen or... Yeah. (laughs) Wow. You know, it's funny because when this... For, uh, when the movie first came out, like the big shove it down your throat, like musical thing was Lady Marmalade, which is, which when you watch the movie, at least the first time I saw it, I was like, Lady Marmalade, okay. And then it's in the movie for, again, like five seconds. Like it's part of a larger montage mm-hmm. um, or like a mashup or whatever. But like that, that music video. So like, do, do you probably not? have any like connection to like trl or anything like that like early 2000s mtv stuff only because that was like my life well i was because like i remember i used to do um every morning like when i was getting ready for school even like in elementary school or middle school like i had um i did jump start at the mornings like i turned on my tv to that which was fun um like just to like start what is that was that not a thing in the 90s? It's like the, like you're getting oh. ready in the mornings and they just have like music videos playing. Oh, yeah, I would TV. have that on too. Yeah, oh, I think it was cool. VH1. Yeah, okay. that one was oh, VH1. Yeah. Oh, that oh. sounds familiar. My bad. I, I really thought that was MTV. <laughs> yeah. um, okay. um, I, I watched a few MTV shows when I was younger, but like as far as like early, early, like I know what TRL is, but like I did not. Um, yeah. I, I don't think I ever fully watched it at all because this yeah because this movie like obviously came out when trl was kind of at its peak and trl was i think that people kind of underestimate now how much of a driver of like pop culture that show was and it was such like a dominant piece of the culture for a while um and like lady marmalade like premiering on trl and there was like a behind the scenes kind of a thing all about like there was so much going into lady marmalade that because it was like four megastars produced by missy elliott like it was a huge deal um and it's funny to think back on it now that like i barely remember that song or music video like i remember the movie so much more now obviously just because i love it and i've seen it so many times but like i i think that people kind of like forget who were around at that time what a massive music video that like that whole experience was such a part of Milan Rouge was like hot pop stars wearing skimpy clothes singing mm-hmm. like a Lady Marmalade cover. Um, and it just like needs to be noted that, <laughs> that was such a big part of, like the Milan Rouge culture at the time that just like shoved down your throat. And then when you watch the movie, you're like, okay, this is actually like not really in the movie. <laughs> it's just kind of like yeah. an excuse to make this music video. It's like, it's crazy too, because I feel like um, that tries to be like, not like recreated, but like, I like one thing that I always think about is um, the like fake movie that is like the new Charlie's Angels reboot um, that doesn't exist. Yeah, not a real movie. It doesn't exist at all. I've never met somebody who has watched that movie, but yeah. how they tried to bring together Miley Cyrus, Ariana Grande, and Lana Del Rey, three people whose like styles are completely different, oh, and they're sure. like it's a classic gonna... trio. We all know them. We all love them. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Lana Del Rey is definitely going to hang out with the two of them. <laughs> um, <laughs> but it's like, like trying to. I I feel like 
like I don't want to say that like it's specifically trying to like capture that but it's like even like I feel like Ariana Grande stands didn't really like that song which was like the only like I wasn't engaging with like Miley Cyrus or Lana Del Rey stands but um yeah like it wasn't really a well-received song and I don't think anybody really cared which is crazy because like the star power that the three of them had and um I don't know if it's just because like nobody cared about the movie or like what but yeah I just I think, think it's that... the movie I think it's I think also they overestimated how much star power Miley and Lana Del Rey had I don't think Lana yeah. Del Rey has the star power that people want her to have and I think Miley was, and I think still is, in, in in a fallow period. Maybe people will be mad at me. I think, the, but I think like she just came out with a new album. People seem to like it, I guess. But like it didn't like it didn't have any like big hits. Like it didn't really like land. Yeah. Um, and when that song came out, it was like, oh right, Miley Cyrus. Like it's almost like her her Hemsworth stuff, unfortunately, or whatever, was like more in the consciousness than her as a musician. Um, which I think is an unfortunate thing, but I do think that's just like, they kind of thought like these three huge stars and really only Ariana Grande was kind of like a huge star and yeah. the movie flopped. And so yeah. that was also definitely part of it. Yeah. But that's like the thing that I feel like I most relate to it. Like the, like getting like the pop stars together to like that's do something great. big yeah. for like this big movie. And like, it just like the only recent example I could think of was just like the biggest flop of my lifetime. <laughs> like, and the music video has to fit with like all the, like everything like um in the movie itself or like in the mm-hmm. Charlie's Angels video, they're like, fighters or spies or whatever the hell they are yeah, and like, in the Milan yeah. Rouge video they're like can-can dancers at the Milan Rouge like it's very much like a marketing tie-in that clearly they just brought these people together um, yeah but like it, it worked with Lady Marmalade I mean that song was like number one for my whole life it feels like <laughs> <laughs> we're just gonna really quick take a break for a word from some of our sponsors thanks guys Hey friends, do you love movies? The good ones? Even the bad ones everyone told you not to like? Of course you do. That's why you listen to this podcast. It sounds like Super Yaki is the place for you. The team at Super Yaki loves movies, so much that they've dedicated every waking moment of their life to bringing you top quality merchandise to showcase your love for them. From super soft t-shirts celebrating the 20th anniversary of the cinematic masterpiece Josie and the Pussycats, Zillennial Canon Award winner, I'll add that, to comfy sweatshirts made for the brave members of the Movies By Yourself Club. They even have pins of some of your favorite directors, like Sofia Coppola and Jordan Peele. Super Yaki joyously brings you tangible love letters to movies and filmmakers that you can wear with pride. Plus, the team at Superyaki screen prints all their apparel using eco-friendly, 100% water-based inks and ships with compostable poly mailers for an environmentally friendly alternative to online shopping. As a special gift to you, because we love you and appreciate you, listeners can save 10% on their next order with code SUPERZILLENNIAL in all caps with no spaces at checkout. If the spirit moves you, find them at superyaki.com. Thank you so much, Superyaki, for sponsoring this episode. Let's watch more movies, guys. (laughs) 
At this point in the episode, Kira and Brad decided to kick off the hater of Moulin Rouge, Adam, and take over the episode from here on out. Just kidding. Adam actually went to sleep. Everybody say goodnight, bestie. Anything, I'm like looking through my notes to, to see if there's anything that's like huge that has to be mentioned in here. Wait, Kira, one thing I do want to ask you is um, what your favorite number in the movie is, either as a production of it or as like the song itself or both. Um, I think Come What May, I think it's a really good song. And mm-hmm. I just really like, I love the line that's like, they always just like repeat it. And it's like the greatest thing you'll ever learn is just to love and be loved in return. I think that's like really beautiful. Um, but yeah, I think they all just like also just kind of blend together. Like, and I feel like that's the whole vibe of it. Yeah. Okay, Kira, I'm just trying to look through my stuff. I feel like mm-hmm. we talked about Toulouse. The Kylie Minogue cameo is iconic. Oh, yeah. The, Ky- the Kylie Minogue cameo is the best. Um, yeah. It's also, like, an insane way to start a movie. Like, that's in, like, the first, like, 10 minutes of the movie. Yeah, it's 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 always earlier than I think. Like, yeah. it's right after he joins the little, like, crew. Mm-hmm. And then Kylie Minogue comes in and has a, like... A one minute cameo and it's incredible but yeah it always comes in and i'm like oh yeah like we're already in the like this thing starts and it just like go, like it starts so fastly and it goes right away yeah um, i think um it's... also like the lighting cues in this like in every scene is just like flawless like the lighting yeah. in this movie is incredible and like when the lights like come on in like certain like music swells and stuff is just like so specific and like so beautiful it's it's i think it's a well-directed movie i think it's an Mm -hmm. incredibly well-directed movie it's definitely a very directed movie like it's like he like directed everything out of it Um, yeah but but i think that like it's so stylish with Mm -hmm. intent and with consistency which i think is is really hard to pull off like i think it's almost more common to see a movie with so much style that kind of like peters off partway through or hits like a like a low period or whatever where the style kind of goes away or like but I just think that he so clearly had like a vision for this movie and stuck to that vision the whole time yeah Um, like I I think he's a good director and I think that that's definitely part of it but like you can tell why people enjoyed working on this movie because you clearly had somebody there who was like in the mix with them at all times, it feels like, which I think is great. Yeah, it definitely is like, I guess like my overall thoughts on the whole entire movie is just like, no matter if you think if it's like good or bad, like you have to be on some like galaxy brain shit to write and direct something like this. Yes. Like like you have to have like reached some kind of dimension that humans can't reach (laughs) to be able to even conceive an idea of this movie. I I feel that way about Gatsby too, which again, I've only watched that one time, mm-hmm. but I do, it has the same vibe to me of like, it comes from a, uh, it, it's like the thing with Gatsby is that you have to be on some galaxy brain shit to take that source material and do what he did with it. <laughs> That's mm-hmm. the thing, like to make this novel, which is like, 
the best novel of all time or like mm-hmm. so like revered and read and be like I'm gonna do this with this book yeah. <laughs> I feel like that's sort of his vibe is like I'm gonna do something that like nobody else would ever would even like consider doing with this thing and Moulin Rouge is one of the few things that he's made that is just like an original story that he co-created and it is bizarre that this is what he ended up doing yeah I'm like like I I'm just like think like when I think about like his like style and stuff I'm just like he has to have like like I have like I like I'm thinking about it I'm like he must have like perfect like actual vision like the way that he sees the world is probably like he is like hovering over the earth and like watching the world through like like literally in Gatsby the eyes of God (laughs) (laughs) that's how he sees everything he is the billboard like I do not want to see what the inside of his brain looks like but I do like really badly yeah yeah I think that this like my favorite example of this is just how good Spectacular Spectacular is. Like, it's this show that they come up with on the fly in a very mm-hmm. like, Preston Sturgis part of the movie where they're all, like, falling over each other and, like, coming up with stuff on the fly. It's, like, very, like, hilarious. And then you spend the rest of the movie with them putting together this show without really getting a sense of, like, is this actually going to be good? And, like, what is mm-hmm. this going to be like? Like, they're not really doing a good job in the rehearsals necessarily like it's just hard to tell um and then when you get the like end of the movie where you see the show itself like the reveal of that opening number of spectacular spectacular the show i think is is like so ecstatic because you get to see them put on the show that they've been putting together and it's like as good as something could possibly be like the production value is so much higher than even like the movie itself was that um like you believe that this could like actually save this play like it, you mm-hmm. like you're so invested in what the show is that when it's actually good it, there is like a relief to it where you're like thank god this thing is so good and she sounds mm-hmm. amazing and like it's all going so well um if you think about like, it it's kind of the same plot as the muppets 2011 <laughs> <laughs> it is it is basically the same plot <laughs> and you know yeah and and um uh when, when she sings one day i'll fly away that's basically muppet our man basically the same song like exactly you can't exactly. just them on each other <laughs> amy adams is basically the argentinian narcoleptic or whatever yeah yeah honestly that's some galaxy brain shit that i just <laughs> thought of like <laughs> somebody should hire me <laughs> uh so, um, any final thoughts on it? Or um, My final thought on this movie is that I have a hard time telling whether it's a masterpiece or I just think it's a masterpiece, <laughs> <laughs> which I think is two different things. <laughs> but yeah. um, I love everything about it. Even when I watch it now, I can, it's like maybe the only movie where I can quote the whole movie while I'm watching it. Um, like I've definitely seen it more than any other movie. Um, and I, and I having just rewatched it and having watched it last year as well, I just think it really holds up. I think it's great. It makes me feel good. And yeah, getting to talk about it for an hour and a half makes me really happy. (laughs) (laughs) 
Well, I'm glad you brought it to us because it definitely is one that, like, I wouldn't consider as millennial canon. But when you said it, I was like, oh, yeah, like, I saw that poster, like, my whole life and I had no idea what it was. Like, that yeah. poster is, like, it's similar. Yeah, similar to, like, how we talked about Dan in real life before we actually watched it and saw that it was a good movie. Like, it's like you only really know, like, the poster and, like, barely a concept of what it's about. Yeah, and, and I've I've been asking people sort of in preparation for this who are younger than me. Like, have mm-hmm. you seen Moulin Rouge? Like, do you have any opinion of Moulin Rouge? Because <laughs> so my my sisters are four and five years older than me, and mm-hmm. they loved Moulin Rouge. Like the three of us loved it all together and we like watched it all the time. Mm-hmm. But they're older, and I feel like people who are younger than me, either anywhere from like five years younger than me to more than that mm-hmm. either haven't seen it or haven't heard of it really or they're just like is that a thing it's like a musical like they like know about it maybe because it was on broadway but like i do feel like it was a huge deal and then has mm-hmm. a legacy that is really mixed and a lot of people just like haven't gotten around to seeing it and i'm also being proven wrong today because it's the 20th anniversary and there's all these like retrospectives of like the Moulin Rouge like thing. So yeah. it, it definitely feels like a movie that kind of like slipped through the cracks in a way, um, yeah. even though it has such a fan base. And yeah, I, don't, I, I have such a hard time telling how true that, that even is. Like there's probably people who would listen to this and be like, that's just wrong. Like this movie has yeah. a big reputation, it's a big deal. So I have a hard time telling because I just feel like I'm so close to this movie, like emotionally. I just... Yeah, I feel like also it's, like, there are certain directors that I find that, like, I mean, like, personally and, like, a lot of people that I know where it's, like, when you get into movies and you, like, get into a director, it's, like, okay, I'm going to go watch, like, all this director's movies. And I feel like people like Baz Luhrmann are, like, not somebody that I hear of somebody being, like, I'm going to go be a Baz Luhrmann completist. (laughs) It's, like, it's, like, you, like you said, like, it's, like, you saw... Moulin Rouge when it came out or you were like in the room while somebody else was watching it or you just have to like force yourself to go watch it like there's no like scenario where it's like oh like why don't you watch Moulin Rouge it's like okay I'm gonna go sit down by myself and watch Moulin Rouge on my laptop which is like technically what I did but like yeah that's what I did too I had a great time (laughs) (laughs) yeah but like it's not something that you can like it's not like a hidden gem and it's not something that, like, somebody's going to be like, oh, you gotta, like, watch all his, like, when you watch, like, I mean, like, when I personally watched, like, Great Gatsby in, like, 2013, like, I feel like I, like, fixated on that. And I fixated on Romeo and Juliet because it was, like, all over Tumblr or whatever. But anything else, I was just like, okay, like, I'm I'm content. Like, whatever. I yeah. don't know. Like, it's, it's not, I don't know. Yeah. It's like, it's, it's like when I watched it last year, um, um, Moulin Rouge. I looked up, was this thing nominated for Oscars? Because I, I just didn't know. Like, I, I just had seen it so many times that it was just, like, one of my favorite movies, and that's it. Um, mm-hmm. And to see that it was nominated for eight Oscars, including Best Picture, when the field was only five movies, obviously, like, that blew my mind. Because I was like, okay, this movie was actually, like, a big deal when it came out. And obviously, I was very cognizant when it came out, and I watched it over and over. But mm-hmm. when you're 13, 14 years old unless you're like like a movie person or whatever 
most people like me, you're just kind of like, yeah, I watched it and I loved it. Like it was a movie. So of course I loved it. Um, And like the songs are good. Of course I loved it. And like people are kissing. It's great. And like you, like you don't really have an awareness necessarily of something hitting culturally. I do think that that is totally different now with like um, Twitter and the internet and everything like that. Like I think even younger people obviously just our teenagers now who are on Twitter or Instagram or even that's probably outdated, honestly, but like they're online. And so they know when something is a big deal and it's like a zeitgeist. But in 2001, 2002, I was just like, yeah, this movie's great. I just watch it all the time. And then like the conversation like ended there and my mm-hmm. mom would be like, yeah, it's great. And I'd be like, yeah, it's great. And that's it. <laughs> it was like a two person conversation. And that was all. There's no discourse there. <laughs> <laughs> thank God. Oh, thank God. Well, um, thank you so much for bringing Moulin Rouge to us, especially on this occasion of its 20, 20th birthday. Um, it is almost the same age as millennials are now. And I think that's special. <laughs> Happy birthday, Moulin Rouge. <laughs> Happy birthday. Uh, as I was watching it last night, Nicole Kidman posted like a whole photo set of like, um, like pictures of her and like you and McGregor and stuff. And it was really cute but looking hot they both look yeah. so hot <laughs> i love them so much oh my god nicole kidman they should just let her sing always hot take i liked the prom movie she was great i in couldn't it. get myself to watch it but she did do the opening theme of the undoing she sounded great really yeah she did the oh, opening wow. theme song for okay because the she told them can't i can sing do you mind if i sing the opening theme song <laughs> just like let her do it yeah, you don't <laughs> say like, no oh, to her you, you can't yeah. say no to her <laughs> do you mind if i sing (laughs) (laughs) she should uh she should sing the new theme song for his millennial canon honestly i was thinking of uh getting a new song ask her to sing (laughs) yeah get her on the pod um we won't we won't make her wear a bad wig though while she sings it because that's what her whole career is just wearing a bad wig (laughs) poor nicole i know all right brad do you have anything you want to plug um i mean i'll plug wigwag yeah. uh kira's been in it you can read yeah. kira and wigwag um it's just a journal of personal essays about movies comes out every other month it's online um you can find wigwag on, on twitter i guess on social media uh at wigwag mag that's it it's all out of plug just go read wigwag there's good stuff on it. <laughs> we have, actually the june issue is coming out um the second week of june so whenever this is dropping i don't know but well we will have a june issue out uh very soon it'll be a new one it'll be good very exciting very exciting i love reading them they're incredible and it's always fun to like pitch to you and like think of like the weird movies in the back of my mind that i'm like i have way too much to say about this Mm -hmm. um and it's a lot of fun yeah 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 it's It's great i'm I'm really enjoying doing it You can um, read Adam's interview with Vice um, that we've been retweeting and retweeting and retweeting onto our Twitter. Um, so I'm going to link it in the description and everything. Um, follow us on Twitter at Zillennial Canon and on Instagram at the Zillennial Canon. Um, yeah, leave us some reviews, give us a rating, which is always fun. Um, send us voicemails. Um, I already got two voicemails for this episode, so it's super fun. I love hearing other people's, like, like reactions and, like, memories of the movies we cover. So it's super fun. 
Um, you can follow me on Twitter at garlic emoji as well. Um, yeah. Thank you, Brad, for coming on. And Thank you. You're always, you're always welcome here. <laughs> oh my God. I'd love to be back and talk for way too long about something ridiculous. <laughs> Thank you.